everybody. Welcome back to another Commission podcast. This week we've got The Color Purple, the 1985 Steven Spielberg film. It was commissioned by uh, Danique Gonzalez, okay. who graciously wanted to share with us one of her favorite pictures. She talked about how this is kind of a seminal uh, film for uh, especially black women of, mm-hmm. of, of her age and the 30-something black women. Kind of like... Oh, I don't know. E.T. or the Goonies was for white children, white males of my generation. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's. I think there's a difference between showing Goonies to children and showing the oh, color purple to children. Yeah. Uh, but certainly, I, what there's I'm trying to get across the, is the disparity between my experience <laughs> with uh, with this movie and probably her experience with this movie. Sure. And I've never seen this movie before. Have you seen this movie before? No, no, I haven't seen it. Um, Still haven't seen it. But yeah, I don't one of her, really feel like I've seen it. It's one of her top five favorite movies. Uh, she's actually a fan of ours that came our way by way of Nina, mm-hmm. Nina's uh, Project Fandom yep. website. So welcome aboard. Well, that's like a uh, year too late. Yeah. Long time ago, welcome aboard. <laughs> Thanks for staying aboard at this point. About the time that Goonies came out, I think. Yeah, and she said that this is kind of like was a rite of passage amongst friends of of hers to see this movie, and as teenagers, that they'd quote the scene. Sure. Yeah, apparently when she got married, she actually shouted out the "I's married now" after the judge pronounced the man and wife. So uh, it's an, it's an important movie to her, and yeah, I really like this movie. It took a while for me, and okay. I took it as a challenge because there were so many contradictions and um. I want to say flaws in the first half of this movie mm-hmm. that was really confounding my ability to engage with it more so than just the tale of, uh, you know, that this is a story of a black teenager mm-hmm. that's about 14 years old. Uh, the man she thinks is her father is raping her on a nightly basis. She's gotten her pregnant twice and he's stolen both of her babies on their birthbed in quite horrific fashion. Yeah. Uh, and then this, Danny Glover comes calling. And and then Danny Glover comes calling, who's the first time I've seen him play just an utter re- unredeemable <laughs> asshole. That uh-huh. was an interesting uh, experience for me. Sure. And he takes her in at the tender age of, again, 14, and beats her and makes her watch his uh, all of her, her awful chil- his his awful children from another marriage, mm-hmm. uh, treats her as his personal slave. It's totally abusive in every way possible. It has a mistress, like, it moves his mistress into his house. It's just, you like, know. Like, rapes her on a nightly marital basis. Marital rapes her on a yeah. nightly basis. It's Tells bad, her her ugly. Scene. It's just, it's brutal. Mm-hmm. It's brutal. And somewhere in the middle of this movie, something changes, and everything became so engaging. And this, it ends in one of the most emotionally high points. Like, you know, you always hear about tears of joy and whatnot. But this movie is, that's that's exactly what you get. Like, yeah, it's hard to believe you could feel this happy at the end point of this movie from where you started. Yeah, I'm I'm a little concerned that that's part of the problem I have with it. Um, as I was doing some reading on the movie, I, I came across some comments on the book and how it's very different. You know, the the book is not a colorful sort of bombastic uh, telling of this tale it's, it it's much more much reserved it's much more grays um it's much darker and more adult yeah and more adult and so although the, this is a pretty fucking adult movie well yeah but th- so the, th- the reason that i had a problem with it and actually found the first half of this movie utterly confusing and did not understand what i was supposed to be thinking halfway through this other than 
she's being separated from her sister and that is a bad thing. That is the only thing that I took away from the first half of this because the tone kept violently switching between slapstick absurd comedy and just really dark, torturous things that were happening to this girl. Yeah, and not just the tone with the slapstick. Like, there was actual caper music. <laughs> yeah. You know, kind of like what, you know, when the, what, like what plays behind the Home Alone bandits breaking into the house uh-huh. behind horrific scenes of abuse and, and neglect. Yeah. And we were like, what the fuck is Spielberg playing at here? Like, yeah, one minute it's it's she's being raped, and the next morning Danny Glover's dropping pots on his head, and everybody's laughing. And yeah, I I did not feel that that was a good combination. Now I've got <laughs> to put me in the mood for the redemption that came later. I I, I want to put a, a a pin in this part of the conversation because I actually have a theory. Okay, because again, I I approach this movie like a puzzle because I'm like I'm it's undeniable that what's happening in front of me here is important. Uh-huh. And there's good stuff here, but I was confused by the presentation and by the characterization of Nettie. Mm-hmm. Or not, I'm sorry, not Nettie. Seely? Seely. I actually think the turning point in this movie is when Suge shows up in the house and says, you okay. show is ugly. Yeah. I think that everything, it, 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 if nothing else, her character changes the musical language of this film. Hmm. And it gets okay. much more bluesy and yeah. like, you know, period. Because this is set, um, if this is set in like the I don't know Boardwalk Empire era, right? Well, yeah, so it's like a forty-year period between nineteen ten and nineteen fifty. Yeah, so, somewhere in there. Yeah, um, but I think that when Suge shows up, this thing shifts gears into the great movie that everyone kind of thinks it is. There is yeah. just so much flaws in. How the tone, you know, because that's one of my big bugaboos. It's coincidences and tonal shifts. Sure. And it just about br- broke my neck, the whiplash yes. from some of the stuff and the, the the score, which even Danique says, like, you know, she was as she she rewatched this with her family recently. And she's like, man, the score really sticks like a sore thumb at places. Mm-hmm. I argue once they get to the bluesy, jazzy. It's a Quincy Jones score. Hum- is that right? When, when they, huh? Quincy Jones score. Is that right? I have no idea. Pretty sure. But once it flips to that part of the score, it's it's suddenly all those problems kind of go away. And then, you know, there is a little bit of, you know, Forrest Gumpy type kind of syrupy soundtrack at the end. But it's going with material that that fits that material or fits that type of music. Yeah, I thought the ending, not specifically the ending, the last half of this movie redeems it. Um, And honestly, so I feel like maybe Steven Spielberg was not the best choice. For this film. See, because, man, there's some things that I think only he could have done. Like, he, I appreciated his eye in the composition of a lot of these shots. However, I think there are things that didn't need to be done. If I'm, so I haven't read the book, but everything I get from the book says that this is a very different movie in tone. Um, It's it's more, kind of has a whimsy of Hollywood to it. It has this, this notion that everything's fine and everything's okay and, uh, that was not a hundred percent present in the book. And that's something that like Steven Spielberg brought to it. Like this idea that they live on this place, this farm or whatever, that just has fields and fields of purple flowers and everything is beautiful from here to town. Uh, not really part of the book as far as I understand. It's, it's, uh, it's an embellishment that, you know, writers and Steven Spielberg and producers and stuff probably put on this. And I, I don't know that, that matches the tone of the book. 
Well, so here's my, this brings me to my take. Um, this, the book is also a series of letters yeah. that she has written to herself or God or, you know, mm-hmm. Nettie, her sister that she got separated from early in the movie. Uh, and they're written by a 14 year old girl who is extremely ignorant and uneducated. And this woman, increasingly as she gets older and turns into Whoopi Goldberg, uh, she she gets more and more nuance and more life experiences and more well-rounded out. And I feel like that Steven Spielberg maybe – and I, I didn't see anything in her interview to substantiate this. is just all in my head. Mm-hmm. But I feel like Steven Spielberg set out to try to capture what would it be like to be a poor, ignorant – black 13 year old who's being raped by your father and then is raped by this other man and like this horrible situation how would you contextualize that and live with it Mm -hmm. and i think one of the ways that the film showed her doing that is the fact that danny glover while he's cruel and he's a miserable human being he's also a buffoon sure that can't save himself and then later as as again we get more nuance. We also get the layer that Danny Glover is just yet a, the the last time the wheel is revolved around in this continual cycle sure. of this toxic. He's, he's a product of the people who raised him. Toxic certainly. household yeah. relationships that we're seeing. Mm-hmm. Like this is we see a little bit of what it's like to be. You know, we saw in the big, beginning of the movie what it's like to be a woman in this situation in these in yeah. these houses with these 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 poor people. Um, these these underprivileged people, um, and, and, and then we see what it's like to be a man and how those forces kind of shape each other. Yeah, I mean, so so that's why the it's first to half- look. I mean, you look at all the men in these in here, and they're clearly all buffoons and caricatures and over the top, ridiculous. Not not human beings, right? Mm-hmm. They aren't shown to have any real emotion. I mean, Danny Glover is as close as it gets. I mean, Harpo's a, a nothing. Harpo's a buffoon throughout the entirety of this thing. He's um, a transitional phase though. His dad is just pure. He's a step. Asshole. He's a step towards this family coming out of this darkness. He is. And I, so going back to this cycle, this wheel that you're talking about turning, uh, it's also interesting that when he is trying to figure out how to deal and live with, uh, Oprah, who's, whose name escapes me at the moment starts with an S I think. Oh, Sophie. 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 Yeah. Um, when he's trying to figure out how to deal with this relationship where he's not necessarily in control of it, uh, Celie tells him to start beating Sophie. And that's an interesting idea that something that she certainly can't like, um, about her life is being perpetuated by her to Harpo here. And and it's not, I don't think, a conscious thing that she does. It's just that's what she knows and that's what she tells him works because it's all she's ever seen work. Yeah, and I that's I think that's what a lot of people that are not aware of their privilege and are not aware of these concepts don't understand that underprivileged groups can be part of the same methods of control and oppression sure. that they themselves are suffering under. Like That's why I'm always yeah. skeptical whenever someone says – you know, well, that's you're being too politically correct. That's insensitive. I have a black friend and I asked them, can I say this? And they're like, it's fine. Or I have a trans friend and they say that they don't care about this. And it's like, mm-hmm. OK, well, maybe that is their genuine opinion. Maybe they have thick skin. Maybe they're just over it. Maybe they don't want to explain to you why it is hurtful or maybe they're <laughs> not aware of it themselves. Um, or it could be that 
you're putting them on the spot and asking them to start a fight and and, and you're asking you're take, you're taking a person who's close to you and asking them to absolve you of racism or transphobia or homophobia or what have you, you know. Yeah. Um, but that's what people like to do. It's like, well, I have, you know, it's like I I can't be racist or I can't be sexist or whatever because my mother is a strong woman or I have a best friend that worked as black or whatever. And that's it just doesn't work because you can see that, you know, so yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think you're you're right about that. But um, you got the I Uncle mean, Toms and the House Negroes back in the South that were helping the masters keep the the field slaves down. I mean, this yeah, thing. and we talked about this a little bit in Django, exactly. Um, and I, I don't I don't know how like Tarantino feels about this, but um, I kind of came away from that thinking maybe he has a slightly different viewpoint on it. Um, and that the one of the worst villains in that was the Uncle Tom. Um, sure. Because of the the way he was acting. Uh, and but but it's I feel like there might be also a difference between knowledge. Like, I don't feel that Celie really understands what she's doing when she tells Harpo beat your wife. I, I well, feel like maybe she thinks that that's the only way things get done. Well, and that's, I know, and I, well, I think there's a lot to it, and that Whoopi Goldberg gives a extremely oh. nuanced and complicated performance in this scene particularly. Yeah. Because there's a little bit of that, that she's just asking the question, and there's it's probably a little bit of an approval craving. Okay. Uh, like, I'm giving this guy good advice. There's probably a little bit of, I've been beat and take advantage of my whole life. Who is this Miss Sophie that thinks that she's going to there's buck that. the trend? Yeah. Like a little bit of like jealousy and like you know that maybe part of the darker side of, of human nature. Maybe some fear as well of Danny Glover and some kind of retribution if she gives him some advice that he wouldn't approve of. Yeah, like what if what if it got back to Mister that I yeah. was saying you should be caught and that- there's a lot of emotion and I think so that's where this movie gets redeemed for me is the acting in the second half. I mean everybody top to bottom oprah winfrey Whoopi goldberg especially danny glover all of them are outstanding in this film just incredible and they bring a nuance that you absolutely need and it doesn't work and i feel like maybe the movie becomes a joke without it yeah i want to talk about each of those in particular in turn eventually uh yeah we talked about spielberg and tarantino okay uh, white men directing these powerful yeah. images of slavery and 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 one hand and and black oppression and and this just terrible things are going on in the lives of these poor rural black south southern people Mm -hmm. what the fuck like (laughs) i can't imagine being a white guy and be like i'm going to get a couple million dollars to direct this heart-wrenching story that i mean i think that (laughs) i man you can tell that like i'm uncomfortable talking about this yeah I'm super glad there are people that are not uncomfortable and they'll go ahead and do it because I really like Django and Chain. I really like the color purple, mm-hmm. but I, and I don't know what it's like. Um, I know. I'm, I mean, I've heard some talk, especially heard it when like Django and Chain came out um, that like, what's it like to see a white man getting all this credit for producing this material? That is like, as Danique says, it's something that's like a seminal experience for mm-hmm. especially black women. Yeah. Like, what's it like for him to be the mouthpiece or the artist that is putting those words into visual yeah, motion? You, you said the other day it takes some kind of balls, right? I it mean, takes balls to be like, I'm going to adapt this powerful story about yeah. these strong black women as a white man and get it done to the the, the screen. And then, then, then that takes all sure. these other criticisms about the caper music. Like, 
it takes it to a whole other level. Like, did he do that it, because he thinks it's funny? Like, yeah, yeah. So that's Steven the other. Spielberg's not a monster. I don't think he does, but it's like I'm way too self conscious to open myself up to that kind <laughs> of potentially valid criticism because yeah, I'm I'm not not racist. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I don't. I'm not consciously, and I try to root it sure. out where I find it. But I'm part of a culture. I mean, I buy into the part that America's default state is is institutionalized racism, and it's something we're trying to get out of, but we're not out of it right now. So, like, I would feel self-conscious taking whatever internal biases yeah. I have into this project, and I just, like, no, I'm, there's no way I'm going to put something, some artistic work that's honest, and I'm going to put it out there for people to lay bare my dark heart or, or or sift through it and find you know my inner problems like I, I just feel like that would be going out on stage naked sure and it is and maybe that's why these people do it maybe that's a new rule maybe if you're a white guy directing a movie about slavery or the, the 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 antebellum south you have to accept your oscar naked all right that's the only yeah. way we'll allow it you have mm-hmm. to get up there with your schlong out and people see all your, your warts and, and, and freckles sure. and all or your vagina out either way yeah. And you could get some white women. See, you just these. checked it. Look at that. You just checked right, my privilege. Right, you're checked assuming the there's a dong somewhere. Checked it right <laughs> into the glass. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's the thing. Like, I go into this movie and I'm seeing things that I guess I have heard described. Like, um, and, and I'm completely ignorant of, and I don't know if they're true or not. Um, things like women in black culture being kind of the stronger presence in the household. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the more formidable presence, I guess. Or that scene um, as an ideal. Yeah, yeah. So I've heard these things, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't have any experience with the culture, and I don't, I don't have any historical context for most of this stuff, other than you know, slavery was recently abolished at that time. Um, it's like I, I don't know how I can contextualize what I'm seeing on the film, especially when it's got bonkers music and. Mm-hmm. Uh, people being knocked out with their dresses flying over their heads. And also, like, like that kind of weird shit. Like, it, so it's 1910. Danny Glover has it's a wreck. He's let it become a wreck, but he's got a big field and a nice house, and he dresses super fancy. Yeah, how like he is a dandy. How dandy realistic man. is that in that time period for these people? And the fact that this is almost like this huge black enclave. You never see white people unless it's time to make a point about when they go into town. That's it. Yeah, they go into yeah. town, or you, yeah, exactly. It's when they go into town. So it's like I don't. Was there communities like that where it's like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh, and I, you know, I don't even think I could tell you exactly what state this is set in. That's somewhere in the rural South. It could, I, it, I don't, but I don't why do they you ever say, say that? They don't speak with dark, the deep Southern accents. I mean, it could be in Ohio. It could be in Michigan. It could like, maybe that explains why. I mean, I guess it could be. Yeah. Because, because that's if not it's what deep you think South, I'm you, thinking that it's, yeah. it's not as racist as it should have been. Okay. Do you know what I'm saying? Like that. I mean, it was pretty racist. When they encounter white people, they are vicious and disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. Especially the the later encounter that Sophie has there. Yeah. And that shopkeeper. The shopkeeper, he was like, yes, he was clearly racist, but not like, uh, you you know, it's like, boy, what you're doing here kind of racist. Not like I'm going to get lynched racist, just kind of like run of the mill. I you yeah. know he's a little I mean, bit I, a little bit more polite than I would expect a guy from Missouri to be <laughs> okay. if a if a black person had the temerity to walk into my general store and make eye contact with me you know yeah yeah so I mean that's so it's, it's that's hard. another problem that I have with the beginning it, of the movie is I just don't get it it felt kind of fantastical and I don't know there's like 
because Nick asked me, like, what is it like to be a man to watch this movie? And I was thinking as I was watching, I was like, what is it like to be a black man? Because every single one of them with yeah. – there's only two notable ex- – ex- three that I can think of. Lawrence Fishburne who swags on this movie uh-huh. in 10 seconds and you're thinking, holy fucking shit. Finally, <laughs> finally we're going to have a really interesting complex and he is just background at sure. best for the rest of the movie. Yeah. There is the uh, African missionary – Okay. Who is a positive? At the very end. Well, he's also. I mean, I guess you see his wife by proxy. Okay. You know? yeah, so yeah. it's like you got that couple. That's that's a reasonably functional person, mm-hmm. and you also have the dandy boxer man who Miss Sophie brings to uh, Harpo's honky tonk. Or I don't. I'm not sure what you would call that that place. Gin joint. Gin joint. Yeah, yeah. something like that. That little boo shack he had. That guy, but he's kind of portrayed as a soft headed pushover like he's just there to make miss sophie happy yeah uh no i, I mean there's nothing wrong with that but that's it's categorical a, the men in here are buffoons yeah like i'm looking for yeah. a guy who i'd identify with and if i was a black man look and i like they're just all terrible sure and i mean i i don't know how uh steven spielberg factors into that part of it i haven't read the book like i said uh i just feel like the beginning of this movie it was impossible for me to identify with as, as it probably should be, honestly. Like, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know that I have any business identifying with it, but once you break out the big guns of the acting and the nuance and a little bit more of the, the pathos. Yeah. I think it really just starts to become an excellent, excellent movie. Yeah. And again, I think, like I said, I think Spielberg was trying to get the idea that this is an immature child trying to make sense of the world and, and, endure it and using this yeah. comedy and kind of um, a, a little bit of superior kind of the same way that like you see in the office when you have a terrible boss the employees around kind of like rally around the idea that well he's kind of an idiot and you make fun of him behind your back that's how that's how Celie was getting by only it was all happening in her head mm-hmm. and the caper music was trying to identify that because like imagine if the music there was no music when she was watching him bumble around the kitchen and stuff would you get the idea that I mean, what would that emotional tone be like? Yeah, no, it changes it for sure. The fact um, that she's kind of laughing up her sleeve at this guy, and that's one way she's enduring the beatings and the rape and all that other stuff. Um, yeah. But again, Suge shows up and the whole movie shifts into a d- different gear. Uh, I want to talk I about. Guess I, so, I mean, I suppose the reason she's able to do that is because it's all she's ever known, right? I mean, not only is Danny Glover a major asshole, her quote unquote father was before that. So. This is just the way it is. That, as far as she's concerned, from the time she was born till forever, this is how life is. You know, yeah. it's not something that can ever be escaped. So why even try? Sure, just look at it and laugh. But I mean, that's the other thing. Is like, yes, that explains the one. But her survival and thriving, I think, is explained by the way she saw this with some kind of humor. It is, yeah, and I, I so I think it didn't reason, make let her. It didn't let her make her feel bad about herself because she knew she was better than this guy. Yeah, maybe you're right. Um, now, certainly, I can't see her. I don't know. I don't know. The comments she makes to Harpo to me say that she thinks this is all there is to life. Let me ask you this: Why did she defend Mister when here when Mister's Mister old Mister came calling to tell him that you know? He needs to quit mm. running around this Suge and letting her lead him by the nose and all this other stuff. And you can tell, I mean... Because she liked Suge. What I thought was interesting is how instantly Mr. became Harpo 
and he was this little boy being berated yeah. by this old man. And you can see <clears throat> that, you know, if old Mr. hadn't beat the shit and abused the shit out of Mr., mm-hmm. maybe Seely's life would be radically different. Sure. I I definitely believe that, yeah. I mean, the, the... Why did she spit in this? I mean, I get that, like, <laughs> it's interesting that her eyes were opened, but... It's some I don't know, man. It's it's she also has this character of like a mischievous girl throughout yeah. a lot of this film. Yeah. Uh, even into her old age. It's not like she ever really grows out of the person she you can see glimpses of the person she would have become, and maybe she would have become a lot like Suge, honestly. Um, this kind of open free spirit given the right environment, because that's the thing that kicks her out of it, right? Yeah. Um Suge comes into town and she says uh, at first she says, yeah, you're ugly. Um, but then she later on, uh, takes that back and she shows her that not only is she not ugly, she's beautiful and that she deserves love just like everyone else does. And that's the thing that kind of kicks her out of her, her complacency, I guess her Uh being okay with the way she's being treated. Yeah. Um, so I, I think maybe if she were put in the right environment, she'd grow up to be a lot like Suge. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because Suge is like one of those, when you first meet her, you've heard and you've seen these pictures of how beautiful she is. And you hear mm-hmm. Mr. You know, Danny Glover talking about her. And you first see her and it's like, oh, man, this woman is as old and played out and ravished and, and, and <laughs> ravaged by everything. I mean, the first the time booze, you see her, the yeah. pills, the She's men, so the music, the late nights, like... Mm-hmm. And there's like your man's like, man, uh, I don't know what Mister's thinking, but then or Albert, but but then you see her later on in the the juke joint. Uh-huh. That's the ter- that's the term I'm looking for. Juke joint. That's a fucking juke joint. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, you see her at the juke joint, and she's just owning the room, and you're like, oh, now I see. Yeah, and what? And, but then you see that she's had her own demons. Like her father's this preacher that's rejected her for her loose lifestyle. Sure, and his. Pretty easily relatable. I mean, that's one of the big themes of the movie, right? Forgiveness and redemption. Yeah, and, you know, just general love. You know, I mean, it's it almost feels like one of those just big hit-you-over-the-head moments at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, with my history with religion, it didn't specifically, like, I totally identify with Suge mm-hmm. um, as someone who has gone through roughly that situation with my father, my mm-hmm. parents. Um, but this kind of redemption rang a little hollow to me because that is not how I ever see my relationship with my family recovering. No, it's In like this kind of, I don't know, this, this moment of religious fervor. It's not society is not set up to equipped, uh, to, to emotionally identify with children whose parents, uh, <laughs> do not give them unconditional love. Sure, but uh, so it's, it's, I, I want to say that, but I also want to say for a lot of people, I bet this was just the thing that this movie needed. I, I to think cap you're, it you're probably right. You're probably and, and right, the, and I think it's admirable the way that it comes together at the end. I think there's a certain bit of poetic license that they're taking. Oh, I thought like, like we were going into full on and, like Rainbow Connection Muppet Land. Like the, uh, I was wondering, like, is this actually happening? Yeah, can like, Mister hear the music? Can this congregate? Can the can uh, Suge hear uh-huh. this congregation from five miles away in the juke joint or wherever yes. she is? And can they hear her a rolling in? Yeah. Like, the movie posits that they can because for her or, sheer force of nature. 
I, I think so, but ultimately it also doesn't matter, right? It kind of like, works as a fantasy. It's a spiritual it, it, it's, connection that they all have. And, it, and I'm not talking about God. I'm talking about... I am. I had an authentic <laughs> relationship with God, and it was Suge coming in and hugging her father. Now I'm no okay. longer... I'm, I, I resent the fact that you called me an atheist just a minute ago. Uh, uh, I call myself an atheist. I'm a purplist now. You're a purplist? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, and my, my God think- is Whoopi Goldberg's smile. Yeah, that's fair. That's totally fair. Uh, no, but my, my point is, I think it works even if you're not into this idea of this religious rejoining, right? Yeah. Like, it works as just a sheer moment of connection between human beings uh, and understanding of other people. And I think that is the most important thing that this movie does and kind of the Hollywood storybook ending that it also has that makes it feel maybe not quite like yeah. You you would think a color purple movie would turn out. Yeah. But but it works. It really works. Yeah, and I can't say enough about Whoopi Goldberg because she makes this character believable in all the transformations and yes. permutations she is. She's believable as the young girl who's trying to figure out the world. She's believable of with as a slightly older girl who's fallen in love with a woman. Mm-hmm. Which that's a that's a thing oh, where that man. movie threw that curveball. And my, I had two thoughts, like, am I going along with this? Yes, I'm going along with this. And second is, this movie, I don't know that 1985 was ready for this movie's jelly. Y- yeah, you might be right. Like, we're talking, like, brutal depictions of incest and rape and uh, lesbian-on-lesbian uh, lesbian love between two black women. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's yeah. funny that I was reading... Um, some snippets of an interview with Steven Spielberg, and he says that his one regret is he kind of pulled his punches on that lesbian scene. Yeah, because I guess in the on, book, on the relationship. There, there's a yeah. lot of focus on the sexuality and the fact that that is her first kind of healthy sexual relationship. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I thought more importantly, it was showing her the value of herself. And and you can yeah. see her change from this girl who covers no, her smile. That's what I'm saying. That, with into, that scene where she emoted with the, her smile yeah. and her body language, and that's kind of the turning point in her character. And then later, you know, early in the movie when she's still a girl, she tells her sister, I don't know how to fight. Uh-huh. And by the end of the movie, she finds out how to fight. Yeah. Uh, by dropping curses on people. Uh, <laughs> she goes full on Guinan versus Q in that. <laughs> she sure does. Yeah. Um, let me talk about let's talk about Oprah Winfrey. Okay. Because I've only known Oprah as the magazine, as the you get a car and you get a car, as yeah. the as the woman dancing with Tom Cruise on the couch. Yep. And she's always seemed like this larger than life. And I'm like, why how did she get to this point? Well, she started here. I will tell you how, because she is a fucking superstar in this movie. Like yeah. I wrote in my notes in the first scene she was in, I now see why Oprah became a star. Because okay. I can't imagine you seeing this movie as a girl and not wanting to be Oprah Winfrey. Well, I don't know you want to get blinded and, and beat up by yeah, yeah. You know, have a whole bunch spirit. of racist, but have that almost indomitable will. And even when it yeah. does get briefly extinguished, to have it be rekindled mm-hmm. uh, by a spirited defense of one's friends. Like, it's just, she's a superhero. Yeah, and it's interesting, the the kind of tangled web between Seely and... Uh, Sophie here because I mean you have it starting off with Seely telling Harpo to beat Sophie and then it comes back around where Seely is the one who gives her back her groove I guess if you want to call it that yeah uh at the You're dinner right. table there yeah and I the, her speech like you know I've seen parodies of that speech 
Uh, oh yeah, yeah. In several different things of about different, and and I never, you know, it's kind of like you you hear played again, Sam, mm-hmm. and, and then you, you feel see like it in, you've then you see it in Casablanca, and it's interesting yeah. to see it in the proper context because you see it as a joke, and you see it's like wow, this has some real impact. Like you know, I've fought my fathers, I fought my brothers, never had to fight my, but it's also kind of badass because you see Harpo like okay, I'm gonna beat this woman. And then he does, and then you just see her kind of set her jaw. And the next scene, you see her, she got a black eye. But Harpo got fucked up. Yeah. Like, she fucked that guy up. And then you see the same thing happening when she gets slapped by that bl- by that white man. But it's also a lot more tragic because it's like, oh, no. Mm. This is not going to end badly. And in fact, it ends way badly than I was even prepared for it to. Sure. Uh, and this yeah. also when she comes back, like, uh, later to the juke joint and Squeaky calls her out and says, you're just a big old heifer. And the the old old man's like, whoop, time to go. Uh, every, everybody starts leaving it's like, who, who knows any better. It's like almost like the oldest coot in the bar is like, yeah, I'm not having any bit of this. And I've then seen like this before. the second oldest coot five seconds later is like, oh, yeah, I know why the old guy's taking off. And then it just becomes. And then Harpo sh- falls from the ceiling and it's all over. <laughs> Yeah, Harpo. Yeah. Oh man, I don't know that the movie needed this much comic relief as it did. But maybe I don't know. I, like, I it, think you're right. It might think about what it. Every time I want to criticize something he's doing, I'm thinking like, what would be the experience of watching this without that little bit of lightness? I think it would be more even in tone. Yeah, it would yeah. be. It would be a leftovers, right? It would be the oh god, I'm dying experience of watching a movie. But and you can have things that are would funny more in universe without having the you know playful. Yes xylophone yeah. shit or whatever that you know the no i firmly is. believe that he just seriously fucked up the tone at the beginning of this um and i i don't see any redeeming qualities that make up for it um but yeah the, i mean so harpo and oprah obviously oprah named her company harpo i tried to look up it's oprah spelled backwards too I, I know i know but i tried to look up and see if there was any other reasons for it and other than just noting that oh yeah the character harpo exists Nobody was mentioning it at all. So maybe it is literally just Oprah spelled backwards, but I can't imagine that she wouldn't have thought, oh, I was in this yeah, movie probably, where my husband also, was named Harpo. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's the genesis of it that, like, uh, like they, she played the strong character. That's something they, they talked about over the food. Because, like, oh, yeah, your name's like mine spelled backwards. It's like, you know. Yeah. If I had a. My, I just expected a, there to be I've a, had better a best story. friend, Nora. That would, you know, I. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I don't I, know. I wanted a better story. I was looking for the real story, and this there Oprah was none to be backwards. found. Okay. Uh, I was. It was a genuinely sad and disturbing moment, because she is this towering figure, and she's so impressive, and she's so much fun, too. Like, as much... F- you know, because she's the Avenger. She's the Batman. She's the Daredevil in the story, that there's all this social injustice happening, and she's... She's battling back with the twin, the twin yeah. hammers of justice, <laughs> uh-huh. lefty and righty. And to see her come up against something that she can't beat and to see how utterly broken she is. Like when she finally gets back, which I'm going to talk about this fucking Miss Nelly. But when she finally gets back to her family for Christmas and she sits at the table mm-hmm. and she's like, I don't know you all anymore. Sure. I've been in prison and I'm half blind and I might be a little punch drunk. And that is a, and, and, her family's reaction to that uh, broke my heart, man. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's supposed to be a heartbreaking scene. <laughs> and this is in the context of Miss Nellie, who is is arguably the first cause for all of these woes, because she came up and was like, I want you to be my maid. And 
you know. Oh, and then the Sophie's like hell no, and absurd twist of her ending up her maid is yes. Oh my god, that's dark. After she's been in that's prison dark. and she's old and she's bent and she's feeble, you're gonna do it anyway. But we're gonna hit you. Along and this the way. Miss Nelly is one of the most despicable, disgusting characters I've ever seen in film, and just so <laughs> many levels revolting. You've got the the. It's not even racism. She's oblivious to how she's treating this woman. It's like when when she's watching the family overjoyed that Miss that Sophie, their mother and grandmother, is going to get to spend a Christmas with them, and mm-hmm. they've only they've only been like what they're across town, and this is the first time she's seen them in years because <laughs> like Miss Nelly got a uh, wild hair, and the way she's wa- it's she's watching it the way a person enjoys watching puppies play. Mm-hmm. It's fucking gross. And then her feeble racist mind gets herself in some situation oh where the bl- a bunch of black men tried to keep her from killing herself. Uh-huh. And that scares her so much that now she's got to bring, you know, Miss Nelly or Miss Sophie home because she's in it is infuriating. You sure. want to see like I wish this was directed by Tarantino because then. Uh, you know, Sealy <laughs> and Sophie would have come back with AK 47s and caved uh-huh. her face in with bullets. Yeah. You need that kind of catharsis for this character. Yeah. I mean, that's what this character was there for to yeah. just be a shit to Sophie the whole time. Uh, we talked about Lawrence Fishburne and the fact that he has more charisma in his first five seconds than most dudes have in their whole career. And then I feel like the other criticism I have is Lawrence Fishburne is squandered. I feel like in the book, I'm guessing that he was a much larger character. And they cast him, and then it mm. all just got put on the cutting room floor. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I can say that this was... Okay, so it wasn't Whoopi Goldberg's very first credit. Um, she wasn't a movie that was more kind of... Uh, a move, uh, An art house film about th- this... It had a lot of like social commentary stuff, and it was more, in, from what I know, like interviews or something. Um, kind of like a waking life sort of thing. Um, but then this is her second credit ever, and this is Oprah's first credit in film. So how they found these two extremely amazing uh, female actors, I I don't know, man. How do you get that lucky to just find these people who are this good? <laughs> I think the sad fact is there's probably tons and tons and tons of black women wanting to break into the movies, and there's just no roles for them. So, you, you know, you probably... Sure, yeah. If you were casting the color purple in 1985, you probably had casting runs run deep. Maybe like so. you could just like yeah. this, like yeah, this is the cream of the crop, which was already all cream. Uh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Sure. Like this this movie had fucking Danny Glover and Lawrence Fishburne and Oprah Winfrey, and uh, I mean, this is a star-studded thing, but yeah, they were mostly. I mean, Danny. This wasn't Danny Glover's yeah, first I mean, rodeo. Lawrence Fishburne's, obviously. No, I can't. Uh, he was. I the, can't imagine the he cast. He Lawrence snuck, Fishburne. He, he snuck in, in the Apocalypse Now when he was like sixteen, wasn't it? That was the story. So yeah, yeah. I, I can't imagine. Probably because he walked into the casting office like he walked into this movie, just uh, like boom, I'm Lawrence Fishburne. And here's a song. Uh, yeah. So I, I don't know. Great, great acting across the board from everyone. Um, what else do you want to talk about? So I want to talk about a bunch of things, like the, some of the core mysteries in this movie around Nellie's... Mysteries. About Nettie's letters. So Mr. has been keeping this box of secrets, which I thought was one of the more interesting things in the film. And in this box of secrets, 
There's thousands of dollars. Lots of money. Yeah. Lots of money. Lots of other mementos. There's like a gun. This is what Jason Bourne keeps so that he can escape any assassination attempts. Exactly. But he's also kept every letter that her sister has ever sent. And that was one of the key things in the movie. When they were being separated, her sister shouted to her that Mm -hmm. I will write you all the time. Death, only death can keep me from it or death can't keep me from it. And then... Makidata. Yeah, Makidata. And then there's nothing... like. It's pretty clear that I thought throughout the movie that Mr. was hiding these letters. But then I also yeah. thought at some point that probably Nettie had given up. Sure. And, and she fi- kind of did, right? She wrote, eh, once for Christmas. She wrote once, on, the, well, she, like, once she had on a, a birthday. But she didn't give up. It was a strategy. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to simultaneously lure Albert in a false sense oh, of complacency. Yeah, yeah. And then I'm going to try to slip in with a, a, bunch, a flood of, like, During Christmas cards. The Christmas and, spirit, yeah. And he might miss it. Or, yeah, the Christmas spirit mm-hmm. will win him over. Which, Albert, come on, it's fucking Christmas. <laughs> One of those care. 30 long years you couldn't give her, let the fuck, man. Nope. That's why that dude is... That dude is... Stone uh, cold. Even though I see where he comes from, he don't get a pass from me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he finds them, and she gives the whole "you're a whole low down, dirty dog" speech, and she just at this 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 dinner, she dispenses truth to everyone. Like old Mister, yeah. you're going to get a shot, and Mister, you're going to get a shot, and Harpo, mm-hmm. you're going to get a shot, and like it energizes Sophie, and she's like, "I'm going to start cleaning house, and I want to start th- get that twin hammers of justice out again," and she curses Albert and says, like almost biblically, "I curse you," and from here on out. Only good things happen to Seeley. Yeah. Only bad things happen to Albert. I have two questions, and these were kind of paraphrased from Danique. Okay. Why did Mr. keep the letters? That's a real good question. Why not burn them? Why not throw them out? Why so not- Danique says in her head canon, I assume that maybe he was planning to leave them to her after he died. I guess in his own twisted way, he must have had a little affection for her. Otherwise, not. why not destroy them as you get them? Okay, yeah, sure. I don't, I mean, yeah, because clearly I think he did have this twisted Other affection Other than the movie, pr- the movie required it as a plot device. <laughs> and, and the curse was when she left, he fell apart because he had just relied on this magnificent woman. And they do a lot of interesting sure. things to show us how impressive she is. Like, she's devised this counterweighted pot storage system in her kitchen, uh-huh. and she's done a whole bunch of other, like, she later starts a business selling... One size fits all pants, which uh huh, and she invented you know, she invented the hammer pants about eighty pants. years. She invented the hammer pants about eighty years too soon. She did, and unfortunately, she used a horrific pattern on them. Yeah, one well, no, hammer would have been that's he would have gone broke spending <laughs> his forty million on those pants if if she had had them available. Probably so. Um, yeah, and you know the other thing she does. I mean, she's. Apparently a whiz around the house, right? Like, not yeah. only is it the counterweight system, but you take the kitchen that Mr. had at the beginning and you s- after his wife died, and then you give it to Celie, and my God, it's sparkling. And then probably the most villainous thing that Mr. does during the whole movie is plop his nasty-ass boots up on that table right after, <laughs> after she's she done cleaning just it. After cleaned the, yeah. the funk of 40,000 years out That's of That's that reprehensible. Like, yeah. Can't be tolerated. Yeah. Um... So the other flip side of that is the curse. Is the curse real? Was the curse real because Mr. believed it and he thought he deserved it? Yeah, I think so. Why did his life just go to complete shit after Seeley left? Well, I I think it's for those reasons, right? I mean, the same reason his life went to shit when his wife died. I mean, he was not prepared to take care of a family. He needs to be taken care of like a child almost. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So that's why there's goats and pigs and cats and chickens in your in your kitchen. Uh, that's why your house is falling apart. Your gin joints got leaks in the roof. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think he's just completely incapable of taking care of himself. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about is when she meets her her sister and her children at the end. And I was genuinely touched by this mm-hmm. because, you know, her son is this like strong, you can tell like gentle man. And he's, 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 he speaks in some kind of African dialect. Um, and you kind of get the idea that these people might've been like untouched by races. Like they didn't have to go through these same systems, although they'd also show kind of like the beginnings of apartheid. Yeah. Affecting yeah. Africa and how their whole village is torn down. Yeah. 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 By that. So maybe I mean, that's what a horrible tr- coincidence that the place you work the place you live and some other place like the, I don't know, the school you go to or something all in the path of this road. But uh, every single one of them. But her sacrifice was not in vain because she saved her family from this cycle of violence. Like her son and her daughter are not going to be, per, are yeah. not going to perpetuate this. It's true. Um, and her sacrifice of giving up her children and a lot of these sacrifices were made against their will. Yeah. But, maybe uh, they were spared something by sure being taken out of that environment at, at the age they were. And the fact that she stayed, I mean, that's the other thing. It's like, she could have left Mr. anytime she wanted to. The only time she got at the, like, he had to push her to this breaking point represented by the letters to get, and I'm I'm not sure why that, I guess that's just a breaking point where the fear and, like, I mean, because when she finally stood up, he was totally cowed by her. Like, he could do nothing yeah. but scream empty threats. That yeah, even he I, didn't believe at the time he was delivering them. Like, he was completely powerless against her. Like, what? why didn't she leave the first time when she had this, like, I'm going to leave with uh, Suge when she goes to Mississippi or wherever? Why? I think she was too scared. She just wasn't, she wasn't prepared to take that leap yet. Um, I don't know. I don't know. It seems, um, how did Suge come back? Suge just went out on tour and then she just came back. Mm-hmm. Well, she was married. That was the blow. Cause like, you know, Albert, and, but then know. they come back and they stay with him on his farm. Like, well, I mean, it's weird because just the same way that he cuckled, of uh, Celie, although it's weird because I don't even know she really saw him or herself as his wife. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, you know, their fu- relationship is pretty fucked up, but he did, you know, it seemed like that was the pattern that Suge was doing to Albert, what Albert was doing to Celie all the time. And Albert okay. did the same thing. You notice that him and Celie both did not know what to make of this new guy. But then the next scene, Albert's getting sloppy drunk with them, and he's decided, well, I'm going to make the best of the situation because, well, else am I going to do? Cut Suge out of my life? Yeah, but I don't I, that 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 calculus me, doesn't but... work with with Celie, except for I guess she was afraid that she couldn't yeah. make it on her own. Yeah, she had to have like just this fury inside her before she could make this big change. Well, it makes me wonder what she thought happened to Nettie. Hmm. Like well, if she was so sure that she couldn't make it on her own, sure enough not to leave. What does she think's going on with her sister? <laughs> Never writing. Like, does she think she's dead? I don't know. Does she think she doesn't care about her? I do not have the answers for that. I don't think the movie gives you the answers for that, honestly. No, I kind of want to read the book. They kind of drop Nettie for a very long time. Yeah. Um, 
which surprised me because I thought that was going to be the crux of the movie, not just something that comes back at the end. I saw a lot of reviews citing the the coincidence or serendipity that her her sister ended up with her son and daughter. Sure. I thought the movie addressed that by, again, I only saw the movie once, that Nettie engineered that. She went out to seeking for these people and kind of like made herself their nanny. And it's not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence if, if one person is actively working to make a eventuality happen. Oh, yeah, of course. Like, you know, if I wait out all of, you know, if it's like the creepy fucking rom- rom-com trope where a guy like waits outside of a girl's place of work all day. And then yeah. as he sees her coming out, just acting like he's just walking oh, by. Hey. Oh, how did I meet you here? Yeah. Um, that's not a coincidence, man. Yeah. I thought that was the same thing in Nettie, but I saw several I reviewers amongst one of them, Roger Ebert's a pretty perceptive guy, mm-hmm. call that out as something that's kind of unrealistic. M- maybe. I don't remember how Nettie said she came to be with her children, with, with Celie's children. I thought there was in one of the letters she wrote that she had she had found them and like gone in as their nanny mm-hmm. and then they went to Africa and for missionary work and all that stuff. Maybe. I, I can't remember. Other question I have, and mm-hmm. then I've, I'm thinking I'm about I'm about done. Why did this movie not win an Academy Award? This movie was nominated for eleven Academy Awards. Hmm. It's tied with another movie that I've never heard of for the most nominations a movie has ever gotten and not won an Oscar. Wow. Um, it was nominated for Best Picture. Uh, Interestingly, not for best director. Um, it was for best actress, hmm. uh, supporting actress, uh, and a ton of other stuff too. Do you know what it was going up against? Well, so for movie, it was going against uh, the the winner was Out of Africa, which was Meryl Streep and Robert Redford, and I think that movie's not great. Um, hmm. It's not a bad movie, but it's one of those things where you know Forrest Gump beat Pulp Fiction. Which I remember at the time that didn't feel super controversial, but the older I get and the more revolutionary Pulp Fiction looks and the more syrupy and saccharine Forrest Gump looks, it's like, man, that's really fucked up. Same thing with yeah. uh, what beat Goodfellas? Some some real bullshit beat Goodfellas. Uh, Dances with Wolves. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Beat Goodfellas. And like... So you a know, lot of I people feel like, like Hollywood's this... a, uh, not a great indicator of what is yeah. particularly revolutionary or great at the time. We uh, talk about the Emmys and how frustrating they are. Yeah, um, but I also think that if this movie was up against any stiff competition, like real stiff competition, I haven't seen out of Africa, but I don't know that I would vote for it either. There are just fl- because of the mess that I think the first half is. There are flaws. Yeah, there are flaws. But even then, if so, let's take out the best picture. Yeah. Um, how did Who- Whoopi Goldberg lose to Gerald and Page from the the trip to to Bountiful? How did, never even heard of that how, movie or her. I mean, I hear Angelica Houston is good in Prizzy's Honor, mm-hmm. this gangster film that I've never heard of either. But how in the fuck did she beat Oprah Winfrey? <laughs> that seems like a crime. I mean, yeah. I don't know. Like, there's like a lot of I, I read a lot about like you know, is this a case of blacklisting where like sure. this was just a challenging film? But on the other hand, I can think of a lot of films and a lot of like really puzzling choices with the Oscars have made over the years. Mm-hmm. 
and I can also say that this film did have serious flaws that would keep it out of contention for maybe best winning best picture. Best picture, yeah, but I mean, best actress. It's hard. I, I thought it was her work was outstanding. Whoopi Goldberg and like an and, and Oprah, Oprah too. Winfrey, and I yeah. didn't see again best who they actress. were going against, but my God, it it was really impressive. I thought. Yeah, I mean, it's stuff that I mean, if you go back and you look at a lot of '80s movies, the acting has certainly changed, right? This work is stuff that I think would probably hold up today. No, it definitely feels. I mean, you yeah. saw that 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 trend start in like the, you know, 60s where they went from kind of stage acting oh, to sure, method yeah. acting. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you can continue to watch that grow and mature and Yeah. Yeah, this is a very modern modern performance and I think part of that's probably being directed by Spielberg. I mean, he's probably. pretty good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed, he's he, pretty good. He's pretty good. Yeah. Although I I was looking through his directorial credits before this, and I'm like, oh, I don't know if I would have picked this guy to do this movie at this time. I mean, we're talking about like E.T. and Close Encounters and Jaws, and like nothing about those movies says this guy can do a serious hard But you know what? Drama. You know what? The sad thing is, I bet this story about these strong black women was not exactly burning up the Hollywood. You're probably right. So this might like, have been a passion project for him. And he's like, you know what? I want to do something other than Jaws and Close Encounters and E.T. And I've got, yeah. you know. And now I can make things I want to head. I want to head in the, the direction where I can make a Schindler's List, which that's like the antithesis of this for him like that's got to be something deeply personal as a, oh, yeah. as a Jewish man I would think so yeah um you know that has and to be, at that and, point and he's too. much more qualified to direct something like that right i mean sure he's got I a lot more films under his belt but yeah well i i don't think great filmmakers are always great filmmakers i think yeah. they grow into that well sure you get you you i think that he had a lot of talent <laughs> raw talent yeah raw talent and he's gotten you know better Oh yeah, with practice and age. Certainly. Although maybe he's on the other. Side <laughs> he's of come now. out the other side. <laughs> he's done one Crystal too many Skull. Indiana Jones yeah, movies. Yeah, um, sure. But uh, yeah, you wouldn't want to see the color purple with uh, George Lucas as the executive creditor. Oh no, you would not. No, no. no. There would have been uh, Gungans <laughs> jumping <laughs> in, in the juke joint. It'd have been bad. Oh man, offensive. Very, very. Uh. I'm glad I saw this movie, and I never would have had it. I've Me said either. this yeah. half a dozen times, but I never would have seen this movie had it not been for the commission. So thank you so much, Danique, Yeah, for commissioning this. Do you have anything else you'd like to say? No, I think that's it. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed the podcast, Danique. Uh, if you yourself would like to do a commission podcast, you're like, Me? hey, I would. I do them all the I'm time. I'm talking to the audience now. Oh, I'm done talking okay. to you. All right, good. Uh, if you'd like to commission a podcast and you're like, hey, this sounds pretty cool, I'd like for Jim and Aaron to watch something that I love and talk about it, you can find out how you can do that at baldmove.com slash shop. We also have this new thing called community po- uh, commissions mm-hmm. where we've selected um, um, amongst our uh, VIP forum members who are Bald Move Club members. Um, man, this is turning into a commercial. Uh, but you can uh, essentially, instead of ponying up for the entire lump sum expense, because these commission podcasts are kind of expensive, mm-hmm. uh, you can pay $10 for a share. And if you get 30 like-minded friends in the community, or if it's just a popular choice, uh, we will pull that down and do a commission podcast and give all the shareholders credit. Like right now, yeah. Firefly, burning up the charts. It is. Princess, Princess Bride. Bride is hot on its heels. Hot oh, on no. its heels. The Pulp ah. Fiction, speaking of another yep. Oscar snub. Uh, is getting a lot of love. Uh, so we're trying to make this uh, a little bit more accessible to people. Uh, thanks again to Danique for uh, pulling the trigger on The Color Purple. I like the movie. I actually loved the movie by the end. Yeah, I hope you don't feel like I was too hard on it. Um, 
I, I do like this movie a lot. I think it has a lot of character and a lot of uh, passion in it as well. Mm. And a lot of heart. Like, I think that's what yeah, one that's what thing I mean. that Ebert came back, because he did two reviews. He did his 85 oh, yeah. review where he's like, this is the best movie of the year. It needs to win all the Oscars. Four stars. And then he came back in 2005 and wrote, you know, 20 years later, 30 years later, and said, I see the flaws in this movie now, but show me another movie with more heart. And, and, has, and he marked it four stars again. He got so, four stars again. Fuck all the yeah, haters. And that's, that's how, how I, I feel about that's it. That's how yep. I feel too. Yep. So thanks again, Danique. We will see you uh, sometime down the line with another commission podcast. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. Bye-bye.